Hello again, my friends. Welcome to another di- uh, round of Deep Dives with Father Sean, the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. This is inspired by the Catechism's renewal that times of renewal in the church are also intense moments of catechesis. I mean, what I said there, this is super. This is super. I've been loving doing this podcast series now on the Eucharist during these three years of Eucharistic revival. You know what? May we continually have this r- revival. May After these three years, may we just continue to explore that deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, it's, it's not like a mystery you can kind of tap out like, oh, well, we got what we needed. Let's move on to the next thing. No, the Eucharist is actually God's greatest possible gift. You know, you can't give more than yourself when you're God. You know, if I'm not God, I could give you God. That would be greater. But if you're God, the greatest gift you could possibly give is God. And that's what he did. He gave us the greatest possible gift of himself in the Holy Eucharist. Super amazingly cool. Essentially, that's the gift of heaven that we just get early. And I'm okay with that. I guarantee you I'm okay with that. Uh, Welcome to any new listeners that are joining. Uh, Super excited that you're here. If you like this, please click subscribe, follow along, get all the updates. This is good stuff here. Uh, I would also recommend um, that you go check out the archives. You know, we've got some super cool episodes here. I really enjoyed doing uh, the various series. You know, we had a series on the sacraments. I really enjoyed teaching on that. That was actually... I kind of was, I had a little weak class on the sacraments. So this was kind of like really doing a deeper dive. And hopefully I made it simple uh, and accessible. And I found it to be really, really interesting that, you know, for a lot of different reasons, I really enjoyed getting into the scriptural background of each and every one of the sacraments. That it's not just we have these sacraments that the church has given to us. No, it's Jesus himself who has established intentionally each one of these seven sacraments. Talk about cool. And you can go back and get to the origins of that. Super fun. Uh, Probably the most downloaded episode I've ever done was in the series on the virtues, specifically the virtue of temperance. I really don't know why, Um, but I guess I don't know if I did particularly well on that one or people just had a particular need. Let me know if you bump into me. I'd be interested in hearing the why. On the saints, I did a series on the saints for the new evangelization. I just love the saints. That was great. Uh, yeah, so check out these series. Uh, my commentary on the letter to the Romans, a super important work. Uh, and just hopefully that brought some simplicity and clarity to the complicated way that Paul writes. It's so important. It's so important. Also, uh, Genesis, I did a commentary on specifically the older part of Genesis. I kind of took down some of the The other episodes I just don't think were as interesting, so I left the ones that I thought were most interesting. You know, the vices, the sin, you know, I got some series on that, uh, one on the the, the Christian interpretation of being woke. I love doing these kind of things. Anyways, welcome to y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe. Check it out. We're going to dive on in here, and it's a deep dive, and it's going to be a super dive because this is the Super Catholic Catechesis Podcast. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. We pause, Lord, to invite you into our hearts. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, dearest Holy Spirit, we praise and honor and worship you. You created us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so we ask that you open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds, so that we can truly find you and receive you. We 
choose to be your disciples. We claim you to be our, our Lord and our sovereign. And we ask that you fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit. Specifically during this little talk online here. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Very good, my friends. So today, this part of this series is going into the next stage where we look into the presence, the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Uh, we have already touched on the first part of the series where we're getting at the roots, the sources. Where does our teaching come from? First and foremost, it comes from Scripture uh, with the Old Testament background and Jesus fulfilling that. And we get that witnessed in, in the New Testament. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So I did a specific a more special deep dive into John chapter 6. And then we looked into the early church fathers, specifically those that came before Christianity was legalized. So this is coming from kind of like an early underground church where it was pretty dang bold and risky to declare yourself for Christ, let alone to be a great leader and teacher. And after Christianity became legalized, uh, we had St. Augustine as well as some others, but I did a, a deep dive into St. Augustine as well, and I enjoyed that. I liked that a lot. So today, kind of building on that for sure, and then also preparing for the dialogue on sacrifice, which, let me just say, I think is really going to be important and special. We don't have context for this in the world. We don't have sacrifice in, in the sense that they had sacrifice, even though it's fairly universal throughout history, but not our common day. And we can get trapped up and tripped up in thinking that, oh, our common day knowledge is everything. No, you know, we're missing a lot. So we're going to be able to get back into the, the just the basics of what does sacrifice mean. And then thirdly, communion. It's all being oriented towards communion. And so both of these future s stages of the series will really be pivoting on today. Uh, and I think the next time as well. I think this will just be a two-part series. We are a stage. We will see here. So first off, I want to just say that the presence is really, really significant. God has always been with his people. And God always desires to be with his people. And he will always continue to be with his people and desire to be with his people. And the mode of that comes in different ways. He is present everywhere where through his divine power by sustaining creation and being. He is everywhere through his divine knowledge by knowing everything. He is present through his, his spiritual reality, which can be at all places at the same time. Yet there are also other more in, moments of intensification of his presence when there is the gift of grace, uh, when he is acting through the instrument of the sacraments, through the working of the sacramentals like scripture or blessing. Absolutely, he is present there. He is present there through his divine power doing a spiritual action. So it's a kind of a deepening of that, that action. But his, he is most truly present in the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist. Why do we say that and what do we mean? So I'm going to do this in kind of two parts here. They're actually going to be pretty simple. You know, I'm going to throw out a big fat word here in a minute. But so the first part is just going to say, Jesus' words have power. If he says it, he says it. You know, who are we to say otherwise? 
The second part will be on the big fat word of transubstantiation. But I'm actually going to break it down and it's going to be super dang simple. And you're just going to be like, well, why didn't anyone teach me this earlier? Hopefully someone has. So first part, the first part here, Jesus's words have power. How did the worst world, how did the world come into being? Through words. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. God spoke it and it came to be. And so each of these days of creation, we hear more and more words, which bring more and more order and substance into the universe that he created. And each time, again, it's through the word. Let there be light. Let there be separation of the darkness and the light. Let there be dry land. Let there be animals, etc., etc. He said it and it was. All right, so God's word has power. <laughs> let's, not, let's not deviate on that. It's right there in scripture. And if God is who he says he is, well, he can do it. If he created with a word, well, boom, baby. You know, it's not too complicated. He has power in his words. And you can trace that through scripture. But I think it's very, very clear already. And this is a big theme that the church fathers hit on. And I really tried to highlight that in, an, in preparation for this moment here. They will say that that bread will not have anything happen to it until the word of power comes over it, until the word is applied to it. And what is this word? Well, it's the word of Jesus Christ. He's the one speaking. What are his words? Well, the actual words of power, divine power, all-powerful power, you know, in Spanish, I like the phrase, todo poderoso, all powerful. It's so simple and so profound. Jesus took the bread, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body. Give it up for you. He took the chalice. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be given up for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. This is my body. This is my blood. If these words don't transform your attitude on this, I don't really think anything will. You know, I, I just really don't think so. If you are a Christian who believes the Bible, and if you believe in the divinity of Jesus, and you hear Jesus say, this is my body, you know, there's no evidence here for, for a symbolic interpretation. You can withhold your judgment, until you think about what he said in John chapter 6, where he said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. And then he repeats himself four more times. Or you can think of St. Paul, who is really highlighting the fact that you can't just eat this bread in an unworthy way because you're going to be eating damnation upon yourself. And you know, don't do that. You know, if that's the case, it's not ordinary bread. Something's changed in this bread with those divine, divine words. This is my body. You know, I had a friend in seminary. Uh, he was from California. He was in the military though. So I don't know if he was literally from California, but that's where he found himself when he entered into seminary. Protestant guy from a great, great evangelical, I think it was Baptist background. And Loved the Lord, believed in Scripture, believed in the divinity of Jesus. And one day someone just told him, by the way, this is what we believe. And we believe it because Jesus said so. This is my body. 
at that moment, he became Catholic. <laughs> you know, I'm sure he had to go through uh, you know, the process and kind of get there, but my goodness, it was just so simple for him. And that always struck me. You know, wow. Yeah, it's just not complicated. It's just not complicated. And the early church gives such clear witness on that. But again, it's through the words of power. The church fathers are so clear on that. And, and we should be as well. So that's the first part. I don't know if you got any questions. I think it's pretty clear. Jesus, who was there at the creation of the universe, who participated in the creation of the universe, one with God, one being God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he created the universe with a word, let it be. He changed bread into his body with his words. This is my body. You know, boom, there it goes. Secondly, what is transubstantiation? Because this is describing the change that's, that is happening. Okay, you got bread, then you got the body of Jesus. How the heck does that work? It's going to be super simple. You know, it's going to be super simple here. I don't know if you've ever learned a new language or if there's ever been any new words in the maybe the only language you speak. Let's, let's talk about English. We, you know, you, if you're listening, you must understand English. Now, if you understand English, you're going to recognize that, you know, after a while, there's a few new words that slip into the, into the vocabulary. You know, when I was growing up, we said some things kind of casually. And nowadays, the kids will say, hey, that was lit. And the word lit means, hey, that was awesome. That was like on fire. That was lit. So you learn a new word. You learn a new word that way. I'm just going to teach you two new words. Uh, if you already know the word transubstantiation, you already know the words. One is trans. The other is substantiation. Tran means a cross or change or something going on. There's a movement from one point to another point. A to B. There's trans. Uh, it's been kind of abducted these days by the trans gender movement. But you know what? It doesn't really change the Latin language. It just means changing across from one thing to the next. So hopefully that makes sense. That's why, you know, it's in the word transition. It's changing of one location. That's what situ means from one location to another. It's a transition, transitoation. It's a change of place, transition. And you can think of whatever else, you know, even the word transgender can be used as an example to help us understand it. They consider themselves to be of one body, but they are, or one reality, one gender, and then they are crossing over to the other gender. So that's what the word trans is all about. Secondly, substance, substantiation, transubstantiation. Uh, this is coming from the, the Latin word substantio, um, which I'm going to describe through an example. And I used this example um, the other day when I was doing a little teaching on this, this very thing, transubstantiation. I had a picture. I, have a picture of, I had a picture of my cute little, little self back in the day, back when I had hair, back when my hair was even curly. And oh, so adorable. Lovely, lovely, lovely. All right, very good. And now look at me, bald, scrawny, whatever. <laughs> you know, that's how it is. Now let's look at this. There have been some things that have changed, haven't there? You know, the hair, <laughs> that's maybe the biggest change. Probably a little change in my eye color now. You know, I've got a few wrinkles on my forehead. Uh, there's a little, a little bit more gray hair than when I had when I was two years old. 
et cetera, et cetera. But I am stronger. I got ripped now. Maybe not so ripped, but at least I got more muscle. I could definitely take my older self in an arm wrestling contest. These are non-essential parts of who I am. They're not essential because, look, it's the same me. Uh, what is essential stays the same. What is non-essential changes. Um, the ultimate non-essential reality of Sean O'Brien, one from whether it's the 36-year-old or the two-year-old or the newly conceived little zygote, that's my identity. That's who I am. That is the the underlying essence of of me was there from the beginning, and it'll continue to be there um, until my body falls apart, and then my soul will continue, which will carry my my substance along with it. Not in a perfect way, because my, the perfect way needs a body, <laughs> but in an imperfect way, it does carry my substance. So the substance is what stands underneath the characteristics. It's what stands underneath the characteristics. The characteristics will change. The hair will change. The eye color will change. The health will change. The muscles will change, etc. But what never changes is the substance. That which does change we call accidents. We call that accidents. Uh, not because it's like an oopsie. It's just the technical term. You know, this is kind of how it how it was passed down to us. It's just the technical term. The accidents are the hair color, the eye colors I've been talking about, um, the weight, the height. Uh, it could even be temperament. Uh, I'm angry. I have a tendency of getting angry. Uh, my virtue is here one day. My, my vice is here the next day. And these are some accidents um, that are that my substance is holding in existence. You never, never find an accident without the true substance. So for example, you can't just find baldness out there. You can't find blue eyes out there unless you have an eyeball. <laughs> you can only find baldness if you have a head and that will be the substance. That will provide the substance for this characteristic. Okay, so if we're talking about transubstantiation, which of these two realities is being changed? Is it the substance or the accidents? Well, we know that the accidents don't change. It looks like bread before. It tastes like bread before. After the prayers, you know what? It still looks like bread. It still tastes like bread. It's still there. Uh, the wine will look red beforehand. The wine will look red after. It'll taste like wine beforehand. It'll taste like wine after. It will have the effects of alcohol before. It'll have the effects of alcohol after. These are accidents. That doesn't change. Now we're going to look at the part that does change, the trans. What is actually transitioning here? Well, what is transitioning is the substance. And it's a miracle. There's going to be two parts of this. Miracle. One miracle will be addressing the substance. The other miracle will be addressing the accidents. Firstly, the substance. The miracle that God performs is that he is removing the substance of bread or wine. And he will be substituting that for his body. That is why we call the Eucharist to have all of the substance of Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. It is the body of Jesus. That is the new substance. That is the new substance. It doesn't say this is now the, the, the dark hair of Jesus. 
No, it says this is the, the body of Jesus. It is his substance that is there. Secondly, the, this miracle is addressing that the accidents remain. You know, this is a really good thing. You know, I don't really want to be eating the flesh of anyone. That's, you know, I don't want to be eating that dripping blood. Totally gross. It's against God's law. And so he's very kind to perform the second miracle to somehow mysteriously maintain the likeness of bread and the likeness of wine without the actual substance of it, without it actually being wine and without it actually being bread. Super merciful, because again, I just don't want to do that and (laughs) I should not do that. You shouldn't do that either. We call it cannibalism. We are receiving the accidents of bread and wine that are intrinsically linked to the substance of Jesus. Jesus' body, Jesus' blood. So that is what transubstantiation means. For me, my I don't go through transubstantiation. Uh, you know, I might when I die, because my body will go from the body of Sean O'Brien to the, <laughs> to the corpse of Sean O'Brien. And that is a true change of substance. I go through trans accidents every day. You know, I might, as my mood changes, as my attitude changes, as my hair changes, I get a haircut, as I get a bruise on my shoulder, you know, whatever it might be, as I pack on awesome muscle. Yes, you know, that's a change of accidents. And I won't experience a change of substance until the day that I die. And my substance will be removed from my body. And then it will be a new substance. It'll be a corpse. So I hope that is clear. I don't think this is too complicated. I think it's fairly fairly clear. So it's transubstantiation. The substance is new. The substance is the second person of the Trinity. Uh, and it wasn't there before, but with the divine words of power, that changes out. The accidents remain. But the substance is what changes. Uh, it was so clear to me. I remember when I first realized this. It was so clear to me, and it just kind of clicked. This is when Bishop Slattery came to our church for some kind of like maybe prayer breakfast or I don't know, but he just was teaching the doctrine of transubstantiation. I was like, oh, well, gee golly, that just totally makes sense. (laughs) It has never been a problem since. I've never really doubted the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Praise God. I had to kind of wake up to what that means, you know, that, that the Lord is the Lord, that I owe him reverence, that I owe him my heart, that I owe him my love, that I can converse with him freely uh, as, a, as a child to his father, as a, as a saved soul to the Savior. Absolutely. It took me a while to recognize that, but I recognize that. And I recognize it from the beginning. It just took me a while, like I said, to come into the fulfillment of that. And I'm still hoping that it'll, that'll deepen within me. Please, God. Next time, you know, there's still some questions that are lingering. It's like, okay, so this is the body of Jesus. It's his sacramental body. Why is it not cannibalism? So we're going to get a little bit into the history of the teaching. And as we get into the history of the teaching, we're going to get into a guy named, oh, what is his name? Bell, 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 Bellingerius. Oh, I can't think of his name at the moment. I think that's right, Bellingerius. And then also Thomas Aquinas. There's some people in the between there. Um, But this is kind of where this doctrine is hashed out. This is where some other questions are being addressed and answered and um, for our for our benefit to today. And I think it's really relevant. So 
I leave you all at this point here. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a deep dive with Father Sean on his Super Catholic Catechesis podcast. Share with a friend and tune in to the next round. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Adios, amigos.